You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everybody who is joining us at home. We're at our at-home locations. I also want to say happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there. Um, Congratulations, you made it another year. And for some of you, if you've known, if you were with us at our last uh, opportunity for in-person before this current pandemic, uh, my wife and I shared that we're going to be having our firstborn this September. So this Father's Day is very unique to me. Um, And I'm excited, terrified, all the emotions in between, all at the same time. But I'm looking forward to the adventure. I don't think the emotions have quite hit me fully yet. For some of you guys who know me, that might make a lot of sense. But that one month before, come August, you're going to see me freak out. Just put a shoulder or a hand on my shoulder when you see me in August and say it'll be okay. But to get to this point, Michelle and I, you know, we've been married for six years now. And it's been an incredible six years, but the journey to get here was definitely not easy. For those of you who are in a relationship or are married or have been married, you, you can understand that. Because there were those seemingly pointless arguments, right? The ones where you don't even know why you're arguing or why this thing that's not really a big deal is a big deal. For us, it was the vacuum. I can't tell you how many arguments that were pointless and beyond dumb that were about vacuuming. Every couple's got that thing. You know what that thing is. I know you're looking at your husband and your wife right now and you're giving them that eye. And we all have those things. For us, us it was the vacuum. So I joke, but I don't joke when I say when we bought a Roomba, it was a marriage saver. And it really did change things for us. But That's not necessarily the point. The point is that we've had to learn to overcome these moments that seem like the world in front of us is about to collapse over something that doesn't actually change who I am. Or sometimes we don't actually know why we're fighting or there's some pent-up anger or something inside. In marriage, I had to learn to compromise. In marriage, both parties have to learn to compromise. That's even true in any kind of relationship, right? From the moment we're young and we're making friends in preschool and daycare, all the way through this moment now, every relationship we have is built around compromise because there's nobody else like you, right? And I had to choose to say, this isn't going to be that big of a deal that I'm not going to be your friend over or that I'm going to be a jerk to you or that I'm not going to waste time with you. I had to learn a compromise for finding peace in my marriage. And sometimes that even means that I have to be willing to sacrifice something for the sake of keeping peace and unity within my marriage. It could be as simple and trivial as leaving at 11 o'clock at night to go get Taco Bell, the fourth meal. Or it could be something more extreme, those patterns and habits that we've had before. We have to adjust. This is why the Bible says, you know, you must lose part of yourself. Because now we're unified. And that's true for any relationship. And here's the thing. Unity can be our greatest conviction. Unity can be the greatest conviction any of us hold as human beings, as Christians. And we're going to dive into that. And it's true for unity in our marriage, in our friendships, in our work relationships, in church relationships, in life. And as we continue through this journey, this month of talking about the church of Antioch, 
they had to learn this lesson too. And I think we can relearn some of the lessons that they had to. And not just in our marriages, but in every aspect of our lives. See, as we continue to look at them, we see a lot of similarities to the church of Antioch in Acts to the church of today. For now, at this point, in Acts chapter 15, the church was facing a new and divisive issue. So it started with a letter. We don't necessarily write letters to each other anymore, but we kind of do still write things that are very strongly worded. And this was sent with Judas, who was also called Barsabas, who was voted in as the disciple after uh, the disciples had an empty slot and Silas, and they went along with Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they went with this letter to give to the new Gentile believers, the new church of Antioch. These Gentiles are also those who have come to faith in God, but they were not part of the Jewish race, the Jewish blood, the Jewish heritage. They were separate, but united under Christ. And see, prior to this letter being written, there were people who visited the church of Antioch the Gentiles, declaring that they must follow the full law of Moses. And the specific issue that these guys were kind of pushing on the church was the issue of circumcision. You can't be saved without being circumcised. That was a big aspect and still is a big aspect of the Jewish culture. However, we know nothing, right? We know nothing about Select groups of people focusing on one issue, right? We, it's unheard of. People don't do that today. Christians certainly don't either. These people were associated with the Jewish congregations, so they went to the churches in Jerusalem, but they had not been given the authority by this church or by their church to speak on behalf. They were not proven to say, this person has learned what to say and knows where we stand. And we see this, you know, uh, throughout all of scripture, but you also see this where people come in as we call them false prophets or people that are twisting and misusing the scripture to get their way. They were not given authority by the Jewish church, the Jewish congregations. And this is before, if you look through the New Testament, you're familiar saying, well, but Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews addresses how we do with the law of Moses. But those books have not been penned yet. They had not been written down. And I believe that this was one of the pieces that made that moment a reality for these books to be laid. Because now, if you want to see more about how the law of Moses impacts us as Christians today, I encourage you to check out Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. They really go into and talk about the relationship of the law of Moses to grace through Christ. But the core of the issue right here was that these guys were adding to the gospel. They were adding conditions. They were adding requirements. They were adding things that did not display God's grace and deteriorate the truth from the gospel. And this so righteously frustrated Paul and Barnabas. And they met at a council in Jerusalem with a bunch of the churches in the area explaining what happened. Now let me explain. It was not just one church of Jerusalem. It was a collection of multiple churches that came together in unison to say, this is what we believe and this is how we follow the faith. That'd be like all the churches in North Huntington getting together to talk about how we can work together. And we do have that group. It 
if you're wondering, that group does happen where pastors in our area get together on a regular basis to talk about how we can reach our community for Christ. So this was that equivalent. So they get together with that group and they explain how they need to provide clarification to these new Gentile believers with what was true and to not focus on one particular issue. Fun fact, the way the churches in Jerusalem met and in Antioch met look very similar to what our at-home locations do. It's not church in the sense of we all gather by the hundreds and worship and sing, but they gathered in homes. The body of believers was gathered in homes throughout the community. That's true because churches at home were church and still are church. How cool is that? And it's a shame that it took a pandemic to remind us of what the church really is. Of what church really can look like. But I'm thankful for that. But not being a part of the Jewish nation to bring it back to the Gentiles brings certain requirements that God had asked of the Jewish people that did not apply to the Gentiles. This was starting to cause division among the church between the Gentiles and the Jews. So this letter was sent to address this issue. If you open your Bible apps or you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, we're going to be looking at 23 to 29. This is the letter that was sent to the church of Antioch. And it's from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, and from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. I like that letter for a few reasons, but I particularly like it because it's short, sweet, and to the point. It's not trying to fluff things up or candy coat things or speak in such vague terms that you have no idea where the church stands. They get right to the point. And as I spent much time and prayer and research and preparing for this message, I came across something that very much clarified the core issue that was facing the church in that day. This came out of the Bible Exposition Commentary, and it points out that the people of Antioch were being asked to adhere to two commands from God and two concessions. They were being asked to adhere to two commands and to adhere to two concessions. In other words, two things they were asked were blatant sins that God had always been and always will be against, idolatry and sexual immorality. Gentiles were big into both. Still are. The concessions were regarding eating unclean food, which had been something the Jewish people had been living by. We know that food as kosher. The Gentiles were being asked to follow what their Jewish brothers and sisters were adhering to as to not cause further 
division among the church. In case you're wondering, how did that cause division? So just like we have Calvary at home locations where people gather and there's food and meals taking place at the end or during, maybe at breakfast, at brunch, wherever you're at with all of that, they were eating together. But imagine the food that I'm eating is offensive to my brother. And I know that, and I deliberately still do that in front of them. Because, well, I have the right to do this just because you don't, I'm not going to concede. That was causing division in the church. But what does that mean for us? You know, the Gentiles had to choose if they were willing to give up something by choice, that they had the freedom to choose for the sake of maintaining unity among the church. They had to display the grace God had given them and shown them on the cross and extend that grace to others through the same and similar type of sacrifice that Christ gave. But we certainly have our issues with division today, don't we? You're probably rummaging through a bunch right now because we are not short of divisive issues today. Face masks, anyone? A business didn't open when you wanted them to? What about church doors that happen to look like your front door instead of a glass window that says welcome, even though the mission field stays the same? What about being able to have conversations with each other about race that don't get heated when there are children of God in this world who need to hear that their life matters? We can so easily let the argument replace everything else. We can let the argument divide us, and the result is it removes the truth from the message of the gospel because we inadvertently trash our witness as Christians because we don't know how to have civil conversations and simultaneously be unified with other believers. In other words, we don't know how to disagree because we live in a land of entitlement. We need to recognize what's at stake. Is it better for me to have my way but cause division among the body of believers? Here's what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not agreeing with a different perspective. And I love this definition that Merriam-Webster has for what unity is. And unity is defined as a condition of harmony. A condition of harmony. It is not uniformity. It is not saying I'm walking out hand in hand agreeing with you on a controversial issue. It is saying that I will choose to be harmoniously living with you as a brother or sister in Christ. Unity can be our greatest conviction. For those of you that are are heavily into music and understand some of the core concepts, I'll try to explain this for those who don't. When I say harmony, and we look at the musical usage of it, we get a perfect example of what this means. Music harmonies are different notes that complement each other, but point in one direction, in one chord, one path, where one is the melody, and together they sound beautiful. But we get so busy trying to make my argument and my opinion the melody and trying to ask Jesus to be the harmony to my melody, that we miss the point that Jesus must be our melody as a church so that we can live in harmony and point to him. 
We must work together as Christians to bear witness of Christ in all things that we do, in all things that we say, so that we can live in unity, that we can live in harmony with each other, despite having different opinions. I've seen so many arguments on Facebook these last couple months about all the issues I named and so many more. Church, we cannot let these issues divide and water down the message of the gospel. Does that mean we can't take a stance for anything? Absolutely not. But it gives us parameters for how we do it. Can we not stand for what we believe in today's society while still pointing our lives and actions to Christ? Martin Luther King Jr. did. And so can you. So can I. So can we as a church in unity, in harmony. And the church at Antioch had to make each decision on a daily basis about where and how much they valued the unity of their church. Unity can be our greatest conviction. Part of achieving unity is learning how to have genuine conversations with each other that omit ulterior motives. A conversation that does not seek to win somebody over to my side, but a conversation that is a conversation of understanding. What does this listening look like? Some of you may know that I pursued a certification in coaching uh, and not like soccer or sports or the life coaching where one tells somebody what to do, but the conversations where we would sit down and I would pull your answer out from you that you didn't even know you had. And part of that training and certification is learning about the three different types of listening, the three levels. And here's the first level. Now promise me, if you're at home and you have other people, you're at an at-home location, don't be looking around at other people. Just absorb this because you're going to be tempted to turn and say, that's you. We've got the level one listener. The person that says, yeah, yeah, yeah. The person that's always on their phone in the meetings or the conversation or at the dinner table. They're always in the Zoom call. They're always mind somewhere else while I'm physically present. And you can say basically anything you want and they have no idea. They might even agree to something that they don't know what you just said. And then you get in trouble for it later, right? The level one listening is not hearing at all. It's being physically present, but mentally elsewhere. And what that shows is I don't care. I don't value your opinion. I don't value your perspective. I don't value your identity because I'm not willing to listen. Does anybody like feeling ignored? I don't. And we've got level two. This is the level that many of us unintentionally find ourselves in. I don't think any of us ever decide to say, I'm going to listen this way. But if you think about it, we kind of get there somehow. It's where we are in a conversation, but instead of truly hearing what the other person is saying, we are busy thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm too busy thinking about my rebuttal, or I heard a phrase and it triggered a thought in my mind, and I'm too worried about how I'm going to rebuttal or that how I'm going to get my point across, that I'm not actually hearing your points. I'm just going to keep making my points regardless of what you said. And I may miss the fact that you may actually agree with me. And now we're arguing about the same thing. 
we've all had those arguments where you, at the end you realize, wow, we literally were fighting and we were on the same side. Level two listening is thinking about what I'm going to say instead of hearing what the other person's saying. And not just hearing saying I can regurgitate what was said, but in a way that I understand it. That brings us to level three. Level three is saying I hear you. I value you. Listening to what the other person is saying, not allowing for distraction, not thinking through my response until the other person is done speaking, but also being able to say what the other person said back to them in a different wording, in your wording, to show understanding. Just because you can reflect what was said does not mean you understood what was said. Don't assume you understand. Confirm you understand. When confirming understanding, you communicate respect and a genuine desire to understand. Remember, understanding does not mean agreeing. I feel like we get that so confused as Christians where I can't understand another person's perspective but simultaneously disagree with it and it results in division among believers. Understanding does not mean agreeing. It's about knowing what the other person sees what they think, what they feel. When we treat others this way, we honor Christ. Who would not like to be listened to in that way? I want to. I want to always be listened to that way. I think we all do. Unity can be our greatest conviction. See, these level three conversations are the ones that we must have. But I believe social media sets us up for arguments and forces us into these level two conversations where we get so caught up in our opinion, in my argument, in whatever I'm posting, that we miss the conversation to understand why somebody else has their opinion. When we read what somebody else says, we add our own interpretation of inflection. We add our own interpretation of their mood, of their anger. And we place things on another person or on their words that is not there. And it forces me to reply in a different way that belittles the conversation and devalues the other person and the freedoms they have to have an opinion. After all, only my opinion's correct, right? That's certainly the stigma that comes off on all of our social media posts or the ones that we're at least scrolling. You know you can snooze certain things for 30 days too, right? Try it. I think this is the grounds where if the Church of Antioch were alive today, they'd be busy posting pictures of their non-kosher diet on their Instagram stories just so they could see how it would trigger their Jewish brothers and sisters or to prove a point to them that, they, that their belief is wrong. The church was asking the Gentiles to find unity by recognizing that sometimes I have to concede to provide unity among the church, among the body. And I'm not talking the church, Calvary. I'm talking the church worldwide as believers because when we come together, the Bible is very clear who can stop us and who can't. Unity can be our greatest conviction. Jesus displayed many times what it means to listen to others and to show them value in conversation. I encourage you to check out Luke 24, 17 to 20. There were people in the crowds and they were complaining and they needed somebody to listen to them. 
Have you found yourself in that predicament during this pandemic? I have. We all need that friend. We all need that person that's willing to just hear, to listen, to be there. And Jesus went in this crowd in a way that nobody could recognize him. The Bible doesn't say how nobody could recognize him, but they couldn't recognize him. And he started to ask questions, to hear what they truly had to say, to hear what was truly on their heart, so that people wouldn't change their answers based off of who was asking the question, but so that the conversation could be real. And Jesus exemplified what this looks like. That's what we must do. So what areas in my life do I need to find that unity? What is my responsibility to help bring unity to those areas? I believe that as a Christian, when I spend time in prayer, that God will reveal to me where I, David, need to adjust, where I need to listen where I need to gain perspective and I maybe even need to ask and adjust for the sake of providing unity in a world that is troubled by division. And I believe that because I've experienced it. But we have to be open to God saying, shift, adjust, listen. Don't divide, but bring unity to my church. Remember, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not agree. And if that's what you're hearing, then you need to rewind and listen to this again. Because we can walk out of our homes. We can walk out of a church one day again in unity in living a life that points to Jesus and still have different opinions that don't separate us from each other. See, conviction is a belief that we hold strongly to. And if we let unity be a stronger conviction than my other convictions, I can choose to prioritize unity over all of my other convictions. Because the Bible is clear that when I choose to intentionally do something that offends my brother or sister, or I choose to use words that bring offense, knowing it will, with the intent that it will, I am living in sin. That does not mean we can't have opinions. That does not mean that we can't fight for what we believe is right. But we can do so in a way that simultaneously points to Jesus. What would it look like when people on opposite sides still reflect Christ? It's possible, church. If you had a friend over for dinner who you knew was on a health journey and they asked you, to help hold them accountable. You wouldn't invite them over and then say, oh, I baked this fresh, nice, moist chocolate cake for you. And then eat it in front of them. And if you're joking at home, some of you might be joking, say, oh, yes, I will. No, that's their choice. And if you're serious, please check your heart. But the truth is we wouldn't do that because we don't want to be a jerk. We want to be someone that genuinely helps others, right? 
That's part of who Christ made us to be. So if that means for that dinner that I have to choose to not eat chocolate cake to help my brother or sister on their health journey, I will. And that reflects into every conversation and every aspect of our walk with Christ. Because if somebody asked to help them in an area, if somebody asked to try to understand in an area, and they asked me to help them, shame on me if I intentionally go against them right in front of their face. Can that not apply to our arguments in society today? Can it not apply to issues that we have yet to experience in five years, in 10 years? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what next year, next five years, next decade holds. Some of you might say, well, based off of 2020, it ain't gonna be good. And if that's the truth, shouldn't we take this time now to figure this out and how we can live in a divided world yet united through Christ? We need to recognize that no matter the statement, the opinion, whatever it is, the issues of today or tomorrow, we need to learn to communicate in a way that promotes healthy conversation and unity, not division. The Church of Antioch had to figure this out. And this is a lesson that I think we can relearn as individuals, as churches throughout our nation right now. In a nation where we are so divided, the church can point to Christ by being united. Can we not love others the way Christ asked me to and recognize that part of loving others means occasionally sacrificing something for the sake of another? Look at the golden rule. You can find this in Matthew. Treat others the way you want to be treated. This applies to our conversations in person and online. To our opinions and to our convictions too. Because when I trample on somebody else's perspective, I'm giving permission for others to do that to me as well. But when that happens, I will trample back. We need to extend to others the grace that we want to be given, the understanding that we want to receive for the sake of seeing unity, just as the Gentile church had to do to find unity in the church 2,000 years ago. We must continue to do daily. It is a daily choice. Can we find unity as followers of Christ. Unity can be our greatest conviction. Unity allows us to point our lives collectively to Christ. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not agreeing. It is working in harmony despite our differences in opinion. bow your heads with me. God, help us 
find unity in this season, in this world of division. That we could honor you in all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we post, in all that we write. That despite our opinions, that we can point others to you in the way that we engage with those who perceive differently, to those who feel differently. That we can reflect you in all situations, in all circumstances. That we, throughout this week, throughout our conversations at our at-home locations, that you can reveal to us on an individual level the areas that I need to say I'm going to step back for the unity of the body of believers. Help us to seek ways that we can converse with others that guide us to honoring you and each other in the way that you desire, that we can live each moment wholeheartedly devoted to you. Be with us today as many of us honor those in our lives. that you can allow us to recognize you as our, our almighty Father, our Abba Father. And that God, we can serve you as such in every aspect of our lives. We love you and we praise your name. In your name we pray, amen. I wanna thank you so much for joining us this morning at Calvary Online and at the at-home locations. I hope you're enjoying the bacon that was delivered to your host homes. Uh, If you're at an at-home location, you're going to see some further discussion questions that allow you to dive deeper in a healthy way in this conversation. Otherwise, until next time, we'll see you next week. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.